We are going now to move on to talk about the healing power of connection. We're going to have uh, Brooke Greasy on now. And uh, could you introduce Brooke for us, Heidi? I would love to introduce Brooke. And I guess I would like to say that I first got to know her fairly well because she was a keynote at the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors. And when I heard about the work she was doing, and why she was doing it, I was like, wow, I need to get to know her better. Dr. Brooke Greasy is a, a licensed clinical psychologist. She is the board chair and former CEO of Judy's House JAG Institute, a comprehensive family bereavement center she co-founded with her husband, Brian, in memory of his mother who died when he was 12 years old. Dr. Brooke is an adjunct faculty at the University of Colorado, and she was honored with the Excellent in Service Award by the National Alliance of Children's Grief. Welcome to our conference, Brooke. Thank you, Heidi, and thank you, Gloria, both for having me here and, and also Rebecca behind the scenes. I um, just feel so fortunate to, to know the three of you amazing women, and I'm so grateful for this time with you and with, with all of the people who are speaking and listening and opening their hearts today and, and being open to hope. Open to hope is, so inspiring because it connects people throughout really the world to um, what we need so much right now. When you say a dose of hope in, in the introduction for this um, conference, that just really rang true for me. It's hope itself is the medicine we all need right now. And, and connection, the reason I decided to speak about connection was um, because after the, the few years that we have gone through, um, and, and I've heard many people say connection is the, the new vitamin C, right? It is, it, it is the medicine we need. It is probably, in my opinion, the most powerful agent of healing that we have. And um, I really appreciated the child loss panel that just spoke. It was incredibly moving to hear them speak about their loss. And when Sherry talked about finding community, finding communality and finding hope, through the groups that she's been in that really rang so true for me because I've had this honor of for the past over 20 years being a part of an organization, Judy's House, as you mentioned, that my husband and I did found together in memory of his mom. And I have learned so much through those, those decades of work um, at Judy's House as a researcher, as a clinician, as um, a member of the team working to create a community uh, throughout the Metro Denver community here in Colorado, where we are, um, that is more grief informed, um, putting out tools for others who want to advocate for grieving children and families and individuals, um, and um, really encourage people to, to go to our website if they are looking for tools, looking for resources, um, for support, for um, really helping your community have access to the kind of care that every grieving child and family deserves. But when I reflect on what I've learned most about during this time and what I um, wanna speak to today is, is connection, that healing agent. And um, I wanna just use these, these brief moments that we have together to talk about three types of connection that feel particularly um, salient right now so important to our, our individual healing um, and our collective healing. This time of the most tremendous amount of grief we have seen in our 
world in our communities um, through the pandemic, through social unrest, through gun violence, through um, climate change, through all of these stressful experiences we've had as a community. Um, I think of three types of connection that stand out. Connection to those who have died, um, who um, were enduring bonds that are so meaningful to us can be maintained. Connection to those who are living, um, those deep-rooted connections that ground and sustain us, and then connection to ourselves, um, that honest inward self-exploration and self-care and truly knowing ourselves. So I want to speak, speak to each of these um, one at a time. That first form of connection I know is so personal, the connection to those who have died and, and listening to the speakers today has been so inspirational, all of the different ways that people have found to maintain a sense of connection to the important people in their life that have died. Um, and I, I know not everyone wants to maintain what we call continuing bonds. It's not a part of everyone's journey, but, um, but for those who do, I have seen it be such a powerful part of healing and, and integrating loss into life. Um, for, for my family, for my husband, um, and many people have talked about how they came into this field and into this work. And, and for me personally, um, it was meeting my husband whose mom had died when he was 12 and who felt very alone with that loss. Um, and on our first date, actually, we had a conversation which planted a seed for um, creating Judy's house when we realized uh, that there was not a place in our community where people could come from all walks of life to join together and, and connect in groups um, with their peers, with counselors who, who cared about them and could help them navigate this journey. And so um, it has been an incredibly um, impactful and important part of his healing. Um, when he was a 12 year old boy, he thought he was the only um, boy who had lost his mom. And um, I just remember the very first time watching him join a group of, of children and sit cross-legged. He was this very large, actually a football player at the time, and, would, and sat cross-legged in a group of eight and nine-year-old kids. And, and when they went around the room and said um, their name and who had died and, and spoke about um, the, the person who had died and hearing him talk about his mom and how her death had impacted him um, really led to a light in his eyes and an opening up that um, is, is really hard to describe, but, but also um, led to us creating a space for that for other kids. And, and now, you know, well over 13,000 have, have courageously walked through our doors and shared their stories and been a part of um, finding ways to stay connected to that person who died. Um, and I, um, <laughs> I think it's beautiful the many ways that I've seen people honor the people who have died in their lives. Um, from the very first boy who came through our groups and, and um, knocked on the door afterwards and asked for Mr. Greasy Brian was actually in the group as a volunteer and, and, and said, you know, this is this, this crippled dollar bill that he had in his hand is for, um, is for cancer research because I know your mom died of cancer. Brian's mom had died of cancer. And this is for Judy's house. And so even in that first day of having those groups, where we were honoring Judy's memory, but this boy was honoring her as well and honoring his father's death was such a beautiful experience um, for us and for, for our community. Um, and it doesn't have to be a, a large um, charity or a, a large um, gathering or um, gesture. I see it every day in, in my own 
personal life. I was actually reflecting on a lunch I recently had with um, a young woman who had lost, her mother had, had died for her teens and her father had died when she was very young. And when I asked her what had been most helpful for her, what gave her the most hope and in, in, in her healing journey. And she just looked at me and she said one word and it was connection. And for her, that connection was the simple fact that her mom, before she had died, had said, I will, you will know I'm with you through pennies. And she talked about how she throughout her life has found pennies at different points, um, a pile of pennies by her car after a marathon or on top of a mountain in Peru where it shouldn't be. And just that sense of connection for her was so meaningful that, um, you know, or for, for others, it's planting a flower each spring, or as one of our speakers talked about, um, making a cake on their on their son's birthday, um, the son that had died. Um, other times it is action. It is action on behalf of the person who died. Just this week, I had the, the, the pride to witness my own daughter um, and her classmates marching in memory and in honor of a young student, a 16-year-old boy who had died by gun violence and a really tragic um, shooting. And they, they left their school. They marched down um, Colfax Avenue in Denver and, and went to the Capitol and were able to protest and said, no more silence and gun violence and, and really felt that they were making meaning of the loss of this young man. And I watched his family and his friends and his teammates find so much meaning in that um, not only that connection to Luis, this young man who had died, but also to their community that they would come forth and, and, and support them in that way and find meaning making, um, which actually has led to now a law being introduced in, in our government here, which to see that kind of change happening, I think is just so impactful for those who are grieving um, little and small ways that we can maintain a connection to those who have died in our life. And as we're, we're grieving, and many of us were grieving in, in profound ways in the last few years, and not only from the pandemic, but again, because of all of those other reasons why more and more people have, um, have experienced bereavement recently. Um, but to find um, that connection to those who are living is such a key part of finding hope and um, in healing through these, through our grief. Um, I uh, found myself during the pandemic um, really struggling with my own health. I, I was uh, impacted greatly by COVID, but also by the death of, of people in my life during that time. And what I found particularly helpful as I was trying to find ways to connect more deeply with people um, in my life um, was reaching out, of course, being physically with people, finding opportunities to take walks with people and have those deep conversations um, to reach out and, and connect with people. I think that platforms like this are so incredible. We, we all use this so much during our time um, of isolation and, and really loneliness during the pandemic. But the other thing that I found really incredibly helpful was walking in nature. And I found inspiration through walking through a grove of aspen trees near my home that um, helped me feel connected 
to the universe and 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 to um, to my my larger community. There's um, I love aspen trees. I love that they're all connected underground and that they're really connected in such a way that they are a single organism that they can communicate and support one another um, as plants. But I, that's that symbolism, that sense of all of us being connected underground really has helped me feel more connected um, to others. Um, there's an African proverb that brings me such peace. Um, when the roots are deep, there's no reason to fear the wind. And I, I think of that as I think about um, the people um, in, our, in our lives who are grieving, when we face grief that we we can really dig our roots deeper into the ground and make those meaningful connections with others, those um, deep connections, we um, feel less alone. And I, I am reminded of how connected we are, that we're all connected. Every time I look at this bracelet that I wear on my wrist um, daily and actually, um, we give this to all of the kids that go through our programs at Judy's house um, because we we want them to know that they're part of a larger community. I now, this was through a partnership with Outward Bound actually many years ago that we started um, wearing these We Are All Connected bracelets. And now when I walk through my community, I know that we've made an impact and, and created a more grief-informed community. When I see my Uber driver or overhear a child in one of my kids' classrooms, uh, talking about this bracelet and 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 talking about how they are less alone because they are part of a larger community. Um, I love that about that sense of connection um, to others that we have an opportunity as we create more grief informed communities to really foster that. Um, one of our initiatives at Judy South and Jag Institute is um, that we utilize the childhood bereavement estimation model and a change makers initiative to really bring grief centers from around the country together and empower communities to create um, space and room for people to feel less alone with their grief and to find access to support or care that they need, but also just to open up that dialogue and make it a safe space to, um, to share about our grief. And finally, the third type of connection that I wanna focus on today um, and, and probably the most important and, and maybe the most difficult, but really the type of connection that allows us to have those deeper connections, those deep-rooted connections with others is our connection to ourself and um, really listening to our inner voice and our thoughts and really allowing ourselves to feel all of our emotions I think that when we're grieving, when we are experiencing um, adversity and trauma, it can be very uh, compelling to, to try to numb out and to really, um, to not go within and to not feel those feelings. And we've heard so many people today talk about how important it is to really find the time and the space to do that and, and allow yourself to connect within yourself um, and, um, in doing that, we can then have those deeper connections with others and that enduring continuing bond with the loved ones that we have lost. I had an opportunity um, in the last year um, as I was finding my own way through grief and, and loss um, to connect with um, a friend of mine and to engage in a practice that I wanna share just as the last, in these last few minutes with you um, because I, um, I'm a psychologist and I 
um, but I'm also um, an art therapist at heart. I am an artist and find um, painting um, and art to be such a healing force in my own life. So there is a practice um, that um, is called Kintsugi, and it's an ancient Japanese practice of repairing broken pottery with gold. And some of you may have, have heard about this. Um, I had the opportunity to, to practice it and um, recently, and I just wanna share it as an idea for you as you're thinking of ways that you can um, really dig deep into your connection, um, whether it's thinking about the person who died and remaining connected to them, whether it's connecting more deeply with others in your life, or connecting with yourself. And this is an activity that can be done in a group, it can be done with your family, it can be done individually with a therapist or on your own. Um, it's really um, something that is very individual for each person, but um, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share mine. Um, this is the broken pottery. Um, I don't know if you can see this. Um, my friend and I, we, we found it very gratifying to do this together. And, and really what you do is, is you put the pottery in a bag and hammer it with a hammer and um and just even the smashing into little pieces was quite satisfying because with all that we've been through individually and collectively over these few years to be able to to really um let that out and then to have all of our pieces of our vessel um, in front of us and then practicing kintsugi which rather than repairing pottery um and and gluing it and camouflaging the cracks, it really celebrates those cracks, those places where we were broken. So really looking and examining each of those pieces. And, and for me, I was talking with my friend about our experiences and the ways we felt broken, but then bringing them back together as a whole in this repaired vessel. It was a powerful experience for us, just the, the inner look and then sharing it with each other, sharing about our losses um, and then bringing it together. And I, I will never forget how um, she had a much larger hole. Um, I have a little one that's allowing um, light to come through. This is called Kintsugi. I see somebody asking. It's K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Um, she got very frustrated. We're both kind of recovering perfectionists. And, um, and to put all those pieces together was not coming together. And um, she said something really beautiful. And I had a hole too. I couldn't get all the pieces to come together either. And she said, it's okay because that hole is the crack that will let the light in and that will remind me of the healing I have yet to do and that I will continue to do. And I love that. I, I, I love that hole, that light that is still shining through in our Kintsugi bowls. And it inspired me. And I was inspired by the, um, the image on the Open to Hope website for this conference to think of our whole world as needing Kintsugi right now. I painted this little painting. Um, Lighting is a little weird, but um, I loved that in the Open to Hope, you have your hand holding our whole planet, our whole earth. Um, and I thought of how important it is um, for this kind of work that you're doing, this kind of connection you're fostering here in Open to Hope, that we are repairing all of the ways that our world has felt so broken, broken open, hopefully not broken apart, but broken open and allowing the light to come in. And that it is this kind of connection that we have with each other, with the people who have died and with ourselves that will heal those cracks, that will line them with gold so that we can celebrate the beauty of those places we have been broken and then have healed and the ways that we are stronger 
as, um, as a world, as individuals, and, and as a community. Um, so I really appreciate that you have given us this opportunity to come together to, to share our experiences, to share ways that we have found connection and hope and healing um, during this tremendous time. So thank you. The loss of a loved one can leave you feeling depressed, angry, alone, lost. But you don't have to face this journey on your own. Open to Hope is a free community for anyone who has experienced loss. Find support. Find help. Find hope. Give grief a voice at opentohope.com.